Today I'll be reading from James 5, verses 13 through 16. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders to the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he had sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Katie. Malcolm Gladwell, in his book Outliers, writes a story about a town of immigrants who left Rosetto, Italy in the 1880s. And they came to America, and most of them settled in one area of Pennsylvania, which they init- uh, eventually named after the town that they left in Italy. So they named it Rosetto, Pennsylvania. And um, of course, the new Rosetto looked a lot like the old Rosetto. Everyone spoke Italian, and everyone lived the Italian lifestyle. It was this little island of Italianism right in the middle of Pennsylvania. Seventy years later, in the 1950s, an area doctor was commenting to a researcher that when he went to the town of Rosetto, he rarely encountered heart disease from anyone in that area. There were, and at the time, that was amazing because there was a lot of research going on uh, because men were dying at young ages from heart problems in the 1950s. And so Rosetto presented this mystery worth investigating. Why in the world was there not as much or no heart disease there? And so they started studying this town, and the research affirmed what that doctor had said. Hearts in Rosetto were healthy. Hearts in men was, uh, heart disease in men was shockingly low compared to the rest of the country. And so they researched all the things behind heart disease, diet and exercise patterns. And in addition to healthy hearts, here's what they found. They found no ulcers. They found no suicide. They found no alcoholism, no drug addiction, and they found very, very little crime. Mostly, the people of Rosetto were dying from old age. And so they asked themselves, what in the world is going on? Maybe it's some old world secret that they brought here from Italy. Nope, that's not it. Maybe it was their diet. Nope, they cooked with lard. They ate sausage and pepperoni. They were good Italians. They ate eggs and sweets and anchovies. 41% of their calories came from fats, and no one in the town knew what exercise even was. So they thought, well, maybe it's genes. Nope, because other Italian relatives that had settled in other spots didn't have the same results. Maybe it's the climate. No, it's not that, because neighboring towns don't have the same results. So there are no dietary patterns, there are no health patterns at all to indicate why these people were so healthy. And finally, the conclusion that they came to was this, that the people of Rosetta were not healthy because of anything physical. The people of Rosetta were healthy because of something no one ever expected, community. That's why they were so healthy. They were literally better together. The community was so close-knit, they spent all their time together, and that made all the difference. They ate poorly, but they ate together. 
They led very sedentary lives, but they sat together when they sat. And their togetherness literally overcame their poor diet, their lack of exercise. Their physical beating hearts were truly better because they were together. And hey, if we can eat Italian food all day long and lay around most of the day, uh, maybe we should consider moving to Rosetto, right? Um, Or maybe we could create a Rosetto right here. Because the point is that there is healing power in community. We really are better together. Robert Putnam echoes this kind of discovery in his book, Bowling Alone. It's kind of a monumental work, and he cites that joining a club or a group is so helpful for you that you are actually able to cut your odds of dying over the next year in half if you do so. If you just join a club, join a group. And if you join two groups, your odds are cut by three quarters of dying in the next year. In fact, joining a group has the exact same health benefits as someone deciding to quit smoking. There is healing power in community. And the takeaway from all of that is if you're going to smoke, make sure you do it in a group. But what if, what if community could actually help us live longer and better? The problem is that's not our natural lean, is it? We don't instinctively run to community, especially when we're trying to stare down our own weaknesses. We are a lot like Adam and Eve. We hide our faults from each other. We hide them from God. We try to cover up our weaknesses. No guy wants to be at a pool party with the neighbors and bring up his lust for someone across the pool. We keep that covered. No mom picking up her kids from school wants to admit that she's tempted to drink all day while the kids are in class. We keep a lid on that one. And the only thing worse than admitting that we're tempted by something like that is talking about how we gave in to something like that. And we definitely don't want to talk about how we actually did do some afternoon drinking and we slept right through pickup at school. We don't want to talk about how Flirting with the neighbor led to a one-night stand. Those things, no, thank you, and we have good reasons. I'm not going to share that because no one will understand. And second, if I share that, they will judge me. They will think differently of me. And so we think to ourselves, I'll keep it hidden. I'll work on it by myself, and Jesus will help me overcome, and it's just me and him, and we'll get along fine. And I want to say something. I do believe that that's true, that Jesus will help you overcome, but... What if the way that he helps you overcome is through other people? What if when you invite other people into your weaknesses, what if that's the way back to health? And what if we could create a spiritual version of Rosetto here at Community Christian Church where at the end of the day, we may be all pretty lousy, but at least we're lousy together. James, the brother of Jesus, writes about this. He's not an original disciple. He's not even a believer until after the resurrection of Jesus, because after all, who's ever going to believe their brother is the son of God? That's, that's going to take the resurrection to change the game, and it does for James. He comes to faith, and he spends the rest of his life telling other people that his brother, Jesus, 
was in fact the Messiah and the Son of God. And he writes this letter that we've read from earlier. And at the very end of it, he gives us some instruction about how to live in community with each other. And he gives us a vital secret about living in community, how to be better together. And we read the whole chunk of Scripture, but today I just want to land on verse 16. Verse 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, let's make clear what we're talking about here from the very get-go. Today's message is not about salvation. It's about sanctification. And those are two big big league words, but let me explain them. First John helps us. He writes um, a text also about confession. And John writes in chapter 1, 7 and 9, he says, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. But then in the very next line, he says, if we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. And so we are clean from sin because it's covered by the blood of Jesus, but we still have to deal with it. We still need to work on it because it's still a part of our lives. And John says what James says. He says, if we confess our sins, then we will be forgiven and cleansed. And so there are two things that are working simultaneously, salvation and sin. And it will help you uh, to think of it uh, in terms of a healthy family. Picture a healthy family, and when you do, it's perfectly understandable how a son or daughter in that healthy family can be at the same time, the exact same time, absolutely secure that they are a part of the family. Nobody's getting disowned. Nobody's getting kicked out of the house. But also, at the very same time, guilty because they took the car without permission. Guilty because they stayed out past curfew. And kids, at some point, have to grow up. They have to learn to behave consistently with what it means to be a part of the family. And hopefully you've been through that process. We've been through that process. But spiritually, we are still working through that process. Spiritually, we're still there. Jesus If we come to him in faith and in baptism, then we are a part of God's family. There's no doubt about that. We are accepted just as Jesus is accepted. But at the very same time, we are broken. We fail. We take the car without asking. And those aren't, those faults aren't consistent with what it means to live as a part of the family of God. And we recognize that and we confess that and we ask forgiveness for that because we want to grow up. That's the point. When we continually, our goal is to continually change into the sons and daughters that the Father expects us to be. And that's what we're talking about here. That's the side that we're on today. So confession here is not about gaining salvation. We're not jumping in and out. We have salvation if we are in Jesus. Confession here is about living into the position that Jesus has afforded us. And so James is going to echo what John writes about confession, but he's going to give us something extra. There's a secret benefit here. He says confessing to another person heals us. And the implication is, if we don't confess to each other, we remain sick. And so we're going to say it this way today. It's a little bit of a tongue twister, but you can do it. When secret sin sickens, confession cures. Everybody say it with me. When secret sin sickens, confession 
cures. One more time, when secret sin sickens, confession cures. There's a classic tale by Edgar Allan Poe uh, titled The Telltale Heart, and we read of a man who murdered his friend, and then he buries the body of his friend beneath his own house. And he begins to feel this incredible weight of guilt, and this guilt begins to manifest itself, if you've read the story, in the sound of a beating heart, and he can hear it. It's coming from beneath the floor of his house, and he begins to think, could my friend still be alive? I thought I killed him, and his, the heart grows louder and louder, and everybody that comes into his house, he thinks, can they hear the heart? Oh, my goodness, and the, the, the secret he kept was a noise in his life that could not be drowned out by the life he tried to live, and he eventually had to turn himself in to stop the madness, and here's what we learned from that little story of Edgar Allan Poe, that our secrets make us sick. All of the public downfalls in recent memory can be traced back to keeping keeping secrets. Tiger Woods distanced himself from all of the friends who knew him, and that led to his debacle. Bill Clinton had a third space. It wasn't the Oval Office, it wasn't the residence, but it was another private office where all of his indiscretions took place. Our secrets make us sick. And the answer James gives us is to share our secrets, to confess. In the group Alcoholics Anonymous, people are bound together by this kind of sharing, this kind of confession, this kind of um, weakness. And AA started out as a discipleship program. I don't know if you knew that. But slowly they began to see that people were getting sober as a result of this program. And so they continued it with great success. And at the conclusion of AA meetings, people who are a part of that repeat together, keep coming back, it works. Keep coming back, it works. And it does. Because sharing our secrets helps us with our weaknesses. Confession cures us. And so today, we can't just uh, talk about this and go home. And so as we discuss confession in the next few minutes, we've also provided you a way to take a small step towards practicing confession in your own life. So you came in with an envelope, and that envelope has a number on it. And that number is what I need you to remember. That is your number. It's no one else's number. I need you to remember it. Write it down if you'll forget. Maybe take a picture of it with your phone if you think you'll forget. And what is going to happen is that inside that envelope, there's a blank piece of paper. And as we discuss confession here for a few minutes, I want you to write down what you are struggling with right now. Write that down on your paper as we talk. Don't put your name anywhere, okay? Everybody, don't put your name anywhere. Just your weaknesses, just your sin. Come clean on the paper with what's going on in your heart. Maybe it's pride, maybe it's greed, maybe it's lust, maybe it's anger, maybe it's addiction, whatever it is, and name it and describe it and write it down. Don't put your name. Did I say don't put your name? Okay. Then, I want you to put that paper in, back in the envelope, and then at the invitation time, we're going to ha- sing a song, and we're going to invite you to come and put your um, envelope at the foot of the cross here in a basket. And then on the way out today, we're going to take this basket. It's going to be in the foyer. And on your way out, if you put one in, what we want you to do on the way out is take an envelope that is not your number. Remember your number, right? 
And here's what you're going to do. This next week, you're going to take that envelope, and you're just going to pray for the person behind those confessions. Maybe you could write them a little note. I prayed this for you. Or here's a scripture that might help you. And put that in there. And then next week, we want you to bring that envelope back. And we're going to collect all of them. And next week, you're going to get your envelope back. And hopefully, it will have some encouragement for you next week. Remember your number, right? Remember your number. Okay? So, you have an envelope. Confess your sin. Don't write your name on it. Bring it to the cross later. Take someone else's as you leave today. Pray for them over this next week. Maybe write them a note. Put that in their envelope. Bring it back next Sunday. Get your envelope next Sunday. You've got to remember your number. Okay. All right. So, while you think about that, and while you write, let me just walk through a few things about confession, what it is, when to do it, how to do it, what happens when you do it. Number one, what confession is. Confession simply means to agree, to agree. To, to confess means that I'm going to say the same thing as. And so, when I confess Jesus, I'm going to say the same thing about Jesus that God says about Jesus. When somebody comes and wants to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we ask them to confess. We ask them to say the same thing about Jesus that God says. And so we say this, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, because that's the same thing that God would say. But here, we are confessing our sin. And so what we're going to do is we're going to say the same thing about our sin that somebody else might say if they knew about our sin. Maybe they do. And we go to them and we say the same thing. We say, you know what? You were right. I was wrong. I sinned and I hurt you. These are things they already know. We're just saying the same thing. We are agreeing with them. That's confession here. Now, when to do it. When do we confess? One thing that we need to say out loud is this, that confession doesn't mean that we just vomit on people. Confession doesn't mean that we're puking our sin and our weaknesses all over everyone else. That's probably a never a good idea. That's not what James has in mind here. Confess your sins. He does not write, confess your sins to God in front of others. He writes, confess your sins to each other. And what that tells us is that there are appropriate times and situations to share our secrets. Let me run you through those very quickly. Number one, sometimes we confess secretly. When the sin is only against God, we confess to God. Number two, sometimes we confess privately. When we've sinned against somebody and we know that we've sinned against somebody, then we need to go to that person privately and confess that sin. Number three, publicly. Maybe there's a situation where we sin against a whole community of people or in front of a whole community of people. In that situation, we need to confess in front of the whole community of people. And it's right for there to be these levels of confession. A line that kept popping up in my study was this, the confession should be as wide as the sin. The confession should be as wide as the sin. So let me use an example, uh, the example of jealousy. Let's say that Dusty Drake is jealous of somebody else's house. And so maybe I, out of the blue, go to that person and I say, 
I'm so jealous of your house. I confess it. I so want a pool like this and a house with six bedrooms and three bathrooms and a three-car garage and attached workshop. I really want what you have. I admit it. I'm jealous. Please forgive me. If I do that, totally out of the blue, they will look at me and they will stare unaware and unsure of what to do. Why? Because my jealousy doesn't affect them. My jealousy is in my heart. It's between me and God. It affects my relationship with him, but it doesn't affect them. And so it's inappropriate for me to include them in that confession. That confession stays between me and God. But if my jealousy leads me to the next step and I sin against them, now we have a new story. If my jealousy of their house with the tennis court slash helipad leads me to to begin to tell other people that the way they got that house was by posing as a prince from Nigeria. They're scammers. They were scamming people. That's how they got their house. If that's what I do and I lie about how they got their house, then I have to go to that person and now I'm including them and I'm saying I'm sorry. I labeled you a scammer. I confess to that. Please forgive me. Please pray for me. And that's doing confession rightly. It's involving the person who was offended. Lastly, if my sin was more public than that, maybe I have the podium at some public event and I say the same thing in front of a ton of people, then my confession will need to be public as well. Now, some of you might ask, can't I just tell God about it? The answer is this, not if you want to be healed relationally, and that's the goal for James. He wants us all to be on the same page, healed and cured together, and that only happens when we include everyone who is wrong, when we admit our failures to everyone that was hurt. And so finally, we should pray secretly, privately, publicly, but also continually, continually. No one in the room will probably be able to look back over the last 24 to 48 hours and say, I was without sin. And yet, how many of us in the room are probably looking back over that same time period and we would say very quickly, I was without confession? And James says, Christians don't have that option. As long as there is sin in my life, I must have confession. If I sin every day, which I do, then confession must be a daily occurrence too. Again, we're not talking about salvation. We're not jumping in and out of acceptance with God. We're talking about becoming the family member that we ought to be as we live in God's household, okay? Now, it also mentions, uh, bears mentioning here that we should also make a habit of confessing sometimes to people we, nev- not, we haven't necessarily offended, We should invite people who we trust and love into our lives who can help us. And there's a place for telling other believers what we're struggling with, what our weaknesses are, and uh, telling them that and them telling what they're struggling with so that we can help each other. Hebrews 3 says, but exhort, in other words, call each other out every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love. And if you invite people into your life that you know and trust and love and they know your weaknesses and you know theirs, that's exhorting one another 
daily. That's praying for one another daily. Find someone in your life that you can do that with. Find a group that's smaller than this room, Sunday school class, small group, life group, whatever it is, so that you have those people that can help you battle your weaknesses and your sin. How do we confess? How to do it? There's a model from the prodigal son that is brilliant, and it comes from Luke chapter 15. You remember the story? The prodigal son wants his inheritance from his father, and so he takes his inheritance, and he goes off to a foreign land, and he, he has wild times, and he wakes up at the end of all of his money and at the end of all of his self-respect, and the text says he comes to his senses. He decides, what, what in the world am I doing here? And he He says a few things, and they are a model for how we should confess. In verse 18, after he comes to his senses, he says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And in those words are four key things that if we took these, they would be a great example of how to confess. Number one, he says, I've sinned against heaven. In other words, I've done something against God, first of all. I have dishonored him with my actions. And so confession is first recognizing the offense against God. That's the first thing that has to happen. Second, he says, I've sinned against heaven, but also before you or against you. And he's talking to his father. I've not only dishonored God, but I've also dishonored my earthly father. And so the second way, the second step in confession is to recognize the offense against people. And let's face it, most of our sin is an offense against some people in our lives. So we recognize the offense against God, against people. And then the third, he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He says, my actions have caused me to lose something here. My position and my status have changed. And so third, we need to recognize the relational damage that we have done because of our sin. And when we confess, part of our confession has to be an acknowledgement that we have broken the relationship, that the relationship has changed. And possibly it can never go back to the way it was. It can for sure never automatically go back to the way it was. And this is really crucial, so let me spend just a second here. If I came to you and I said something like this, I confess, it was me, I stole your dog, and then I took your dog and I sold your dog to someone else. I am so sorry about that. Oh, but there, it's done, I've confessed. So let me know when you get your new dog and I'll be glad to be your dog sitter. Would you agree to that? Absolutely not. No, no, the relationship has changed here. You're not getting near my new scruffy if I ever get a new scruffy. It's different. And part of our confession needs to acknowledge that the relationship is damaged. All sin changes the game somehow. And maybe, maybe things can go back to the way they were, but maybe they can't. And our confession has to acknowledge that. He says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He recognized that he has forfeited something. He's forfeited his status as a son. He recognizes the relational damage that has been caused to his father. And 
this prodigal was not going to use his confession as a way to manipulate people. That's what we do a lot. We say things that we think the spouse wants to hear so that we can get back into the house. We say things that we think our parents want to hear so that we can get the car keys back. We think we say things that we think our boss wants to hear so that we don't lose our jobs. And all of those are examples of using confession as a leveraging tool so that we can keep the relational status as it is. And the prodigal son doesn't do that. He recognizes that he's forfeited something relationally. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And real confessions acknowledge that. They say, I'm at fault. And I recognize that I've ruined the way things are. And I want to heal the relationship. But I know that that will only be possible to the extent that you're willing to do that. And I acknowledge that even after you forgive me, it may be impossible for us to go back to the way it was. I'm aware that that's all up to you. That's what he's doing. Finally, he says this, make me like one of your hired men. In other words, I know I'm at fault. I know the relationship is different now, but here's what I'm going to do to try to make things right. And the last step in a, in a pure confession is to recognize your responsibility to change so that it does not happen again. We make a plan, we invite the person that we've offended into it, and we say something like this, let me start from the bottom, let me prove that I've changed, let me show you some things that I will try to do differently to get the relationship back, and hopefully someday it can be like it once was. That's confession. And when we do it, when confession happens, here's what James says. He says, you will be healed. What what will be healed? You will be healed. And it's vague. And I think that's on purpose. I think James is teaching us that the relationship might be healed sometimes. And maybe your heart might be healed in the confession. And there are lots of things in this text that I'm not really sure how to answer. But I know exactly this that this much is true, unconfessed sin will always wreck us in the long run, whether it's because of stress or worry or anxiety or depression or guilt. All of those things will have an effect. They will have an effect on our hearts. They will have an effect on our physical bodies. Unconfessed sin feeds all of those things that are never good for us, and the solution is easy but it's terrifying at the same time. James says, confess to God. Confess to the people you've sinned against. Confess to people that you've invited into your life to help you battle your weaknesses. And when you do, healing will happen. Proverbs 28 says this, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. When secret sin sickens, confession cures. I'm going to ask the band to come to the stage here, and the crucial question today is this. When was the last time that you went to somebody and confessed a sin? When was the last time you 
went to a believer that you're close to and said, would you please pray for me because I'm struggling in this area. If you want to be healed, if you want to overcome your weaknesses, if you want to grow up in God's family, then the last time needs to be not very long ago. Your envelope today is the first step. It's, it's a baby step. Is it real confession? Maybe. But for most of us, it's just a baby step. But let's start there. What do you need to write on that piece of paper and lay at the foot of the cross, knowing that the blood of Jesus has covered it, but also that you need help with it? Jesus has covered your sins. You're a part of God's family. Now your task is to grow up into maturity. And so confess it, cure it, and heal it today. Father, I thank you that you have provided us a way to become the children that you've always envisioned us to be. And part of that, part of growing up, part of maturity, is to come clean about what we struggle with to come clean about our failures, to share our secrets with other people. So, Father, would you help us to do that? In this small way today, could we lay our sins at the foot of the cross, knowing that you've covered them, but, but also knowing that we need to do some work to get past them? Father, we are praying in the name of Jesus. And it's at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And that is to your glory. So would you help us to say the same thing today? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand?